Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause, and MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Welcome back to the Dr. Wendy Wall Show on KFI AM 640. Remember, we're always live on the iHeartRadio app. Also, I just want to remind you, you can always follow me on my social media where I post videos every single day. The handle everywhere is at Dr. Wendy Walsh. So um, this week I get, you know, around the holidays, we tend to get correspondence from extended family that you don't talk to very much or see very much. But, you know, you, you like them and you're pulled right back into How's aunt so-and-so doing? How's cousin whatever doing? It's nice. It's ketchup, you know? And so I got my annual email from one of my favorite cousins. And she's around my age, which is, you know, anyway, it's up there. And uh, she said something like, have you ever done anything on your social media about dusty marriages? Which I laughed. (laughs) Dusty marriages. She said, my friends are having such a hard time because their husbands have retired And the husbands are under their feet all day and driving them crazy. And they don't really want to divorce, but their relationships are kind of boring, is what she's saying. That's what she calls it, dusty marriages. All right, let me explain something to you. First of all, when the words, until death do us part, was invented, death was pretty imminent, right? People were dying from all kinds of diseases. This is before vaccinations. People were dying from wars, fights, plagues, whatever. They were dying in childbirth. Very, very common, die in childbirth, right? And so if you got married in 1900, the average length of that marriage, when you stood up and said, till death do us part, was 12 years, right? But... Our lifespans have continued to increase. Not so long ago, a couple hundred years ago, our average life expectancy was 40. 40. 
Now, that doesn't mean everybody looked old and decrepit at 40. No, they died young and virile at 40 of some disease because they didn't have vaccinations. Hint, hint. Anyway, (laughs) why do people, are we still trying to relearn old lessons from our history? You know, there's a question I teach health psychology. And one of the questions on the exam, students, if you're listening, is um, something like, what is the primary reason why our life expectancies have gone up so much? And I mentioned all these things, increases in healthcare and antibiotics and this and that. But the biggest reason is vaccinations, right? Immunizations for infants is the biggest reason. Okay. So now we have these super long lifespans. So it got exciting to say, oh, we've been together 20 years. We've been together 30 years. My grandparents have been together 40 years. I want to tell you, this is unnatural. This is not normal. Not normal, what I mean, for our history and what we're wired for, right? Most humans are wired for a form of serial monogamy. And the time where we most need relationships, if relationships are indeed an exchange of care, are during the vulnerable years of pregnancy, nursing, and child raising. And then as our bodies start to age in our 50s and 60s, I went to the most weddings in my life when I was in my 20s. And again, in my 50s, everyone's getting married again. So it makes sense, right? So there are lots of couples who have been together for 20, 30, 40, or even 50 years that still like each other. And they have all kinds of reasons to have mature, companionate love. They have a beautiful home. They're retired. They have kids. They have grandkids. They host them all for the holidays. But they're also sometimes driving each other a little crazy. I find it funny that people are trying to negotiate different ways to keep their primary relationship and also find ways to grow as an individual. Okay, let's think of what they're doing. Well, probably the most common that I see is the empty nest divorce. I often say to people when they start to complain about their husband or wife and the last kid is in first year of college, I'm like, so are you going to get the empty nest divorce or the empty nest dog? Oh, yeah, that's what couples do. They end up getting animals and treat them like they're new children, right? You see that all the time. It's just a creative way to cope with boring marriages because we're outliving them. Then there are the undivorced. These are people who live separately. And they make it look like they're still married because they, well, she's staying more often at our second home or he's liking to go to our second home or whatever. And we're mostly living separately. We get together for family things. Um, And then there are, at one end of the the wild and crazy, uh, uh, and then at one end of the wild and crazy, you've got the swinging lifestyle. Uh, I was actually on a podcast of a couple who are swingers. They're actually married to, they, they're divorced from each other's spouses. In other words, her husband had an affair with his wife. They found out about it and met each other through the grieving over the fact that their spouses were leaving them to get together. And then they fell in love and got together. So now their exes are married to each other and they're married to each other. It works out perfectly. But They do a podcast all about the swinging lifestyle and they have 2 million listeners and they go on like swinging cruises. I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying it's not for me. Okay, it's for a minority of the population. And then there are the group that are trying this open marriage. And there are so many ways to navigate around sexual jealousy. In fact, my next guest is going to help us 
Her New York Times bestseller book was called The New Monogamy, about repairing your relationship after an affair. But her new book is called Open Monogamy. When we come back, Dr. Tammy Nelson. You are listening to The Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. We're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome back to the Dr. Wendy Wells Show on KFI AM 640. We're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. I promised you an amazing guest. Dr. Tammy Nelson is here. She is, many people call her a relationship revolutionary. Ooh. How do you like that title? <laughs> I love that one. That's my favorite. <laughs> because she's been rethinking monogamy. Uh, her One of her many books that was a New York Times bestseller was called The New Monogamy, and it wasn't about polyamory necessarily. How would you describe The New Monogamy? Well, The New Monogamy was really about redefining your relationship after a betrayal, like, like, uh, like an affair, mm-hmm. after infidelity. And it was really a way to rewrite the whole contract of your relationship. And one of the options was to have some kind of open monogamy agreement. But it was really taking a look at, you know, your relationship is really an agreement. And if you're going to rewrite the monogamy agreement, you might as well be really conscious about it and not just fall into it and assume and make implicit assumptions because that's really where the the betrayal starts. And Dr. Tammy Nelson knows from where she speaks because she has a private practice where you see couples constantly. (laughs) We were just talking on the break about the Zoom life and now much of it on Zoom. Um, And you teach human sexuality. The new, we are in a minute going to get into your new book, Open Monogamy, that just came out. But the new monogamy in being not about polyamory is also redefining this idea that an affair is always a symptom of a problem in a relationship. You do not agree with that. No, I think, I think an affair can be a wake up or break up moment. It's not necessarily that there's something wrong with the relationship or there's something wrong with you if you're the one that was cheated on, or if you're the cheater. Sometimes it's like a just a turning point where it's, it's like the time, the moment, the uh, meant-to-be period of your life where something big's got to give. Like whatever you've been doing so far, it, it's not necessarily there's something wrong with the relationship, but there's something wrong with the agreement. You know, I'm going to have to rethink my language here because language is so powerful Mm -hmm. because I have always said an affair is never the problem. It's always a symptom of the problem, but maybe not the problem. It might be a messenger. Mm -hmm. It might be a wake-up call. Mm -hmm. It might be that something is not being fully satisfied in an individual's life. And by the way, everybody... You don't have to go out and have an affair to give a new spark to your marriage. You could take up skydiving together. Apparently, that's even better novelty effect. <laughs> but um, but it, it, it's tr- it really made me think when I read that sentence, because so often I have said that, that an affair is not the problem. It's a symptom of a problem, but maybe it's just a messenger about something going on. So let us turn now to your new book, Open Monogamy, a guide to co-creating your ideal relationship agreement. Why did you write this book? Well, because I think, you know, what you said was is really true, that people don't necessarily look for another person to have an affair with. They look to be another person. Mm. And so if we're trying to discover different parts of ourselves, like you said, maybe we don't need to have an affair to discover those different parts of ourselves. How often have you heard a client say, it just happened. I don't know. Like, I don't know why or how. It just happened. 
Like the, they that, were so unaware of their unconscious processes. Yeah, that may or may not be true. I don't know if we just fall in bed with someone like Yeah, because I'm like, you have to send a text, okay? You have to meet at a restaurant yeah. or a hotel. There's things you have to do. It doesn't just happen on your way to work. No, you shave your legs. Like, stuff right. happens. <laughs> And if it, you know, and if it really is an accident and you just fall in bed with someone and, or you don't remember it, then you might've been roofied and you should probably get some help. Yeah. Call the police. Exactly. Um, But otherwise there is some definite like pre-existing idea there that it's time to expand in yourself. There's time, there's, you know, conflict is like growth trying to happen. Something's trying to expand. Something's trying to grow. She's filled with some wisdom. Conflict is growth trying to happen. And as I like to say, when it hurts the most, it's when you're growing the most. Yeah. It doesn't mean it doesn't suck. Right. (laughs) But that's kind of why this book is, is, you know, is born because maybe it doesn't have to suck. Maybe it doesn't have to hurt. Maybe it doesn't have to be about an affair. Maybe we can have these conversations and prevent that kind of betrayal, prevent the dishonesty, prevent the lying, prevent the pain. Because, you know, just because you're married doesn't mean you're dead. Like, you're going to be attracted to other people. You're going to have thoughts and fantasies. And maybe transparency and openness about that stuff, if you really do want to make a relationship last and have a primary, central love of your life, and you don't want to trade them in for someone else, like, maybe we could look at relationships in a more expansive way. It's almost like you're talking about the growth of emotional intimacy. You know, because I think, like, what happens with couples is they some of some couples their individual needs aren't being met so then they have a side life where you say the affair is not about finding someone great it's about being someone different out there right and so they go and have this separate side life when they could say to their spouse here's who i feel i'm not getting to be what can we do together now open monogamy is not for everybody let's start there before we get into rules and what you talk about in your book who would you say shouldn't have an open kind of relationship sexually. Well, open monogamy is really about people who want a primary or central relationship, a committed type of monogamy, but they want some kind of expanded, fluid relationship agreement. So maybe it's romantic, maybe it's sexual. They want something that they define as a more flexible, fluid monogamy. Can you give me an example of one, an agreement that might not be sexual, but is more expansive and fluid? Yeah, maybe they want to have an emotional, quote unquote, affair or a a work spouse. The work wife and the work husband. Mm -hmm. But they don't want to make it feel like it's a huge threat to their marriage. They want to reassure each other like... I'm not going anywhere. I love you. You love me. We're This is not a threat to us. And let's just be honest and open about it that I spend all my time at work. I spend all my emotional energy sharing and being honest with this other person. And let's not have it be something that's going to threaten our relationship. You know, for other people, it could be we have an open monogamy because we look at pornography. Or, you know, for some people, masturbating is a way of feeling cheated on. So, yes, I get that comment often from women who will say, I don't want him looking at pictures of other girls on Instagram or I don't want him looking at pornography. And I'm like, you know, for a guy to look at pornography, it's about the same feeling as when we get a pedicure. You know, it's not like there's no big emotional attachment necessarily. Um, It shouldn't be a threat. Um, But in your book, you talk about how people can talk about those feelings. Finally, when you it's interesting, because as I hear you talking, Dr. Tammy Nelson, 
when I when I first read the title Open Monogamy, I thought, oh, open sexual relationships. But I think you're talking about emotional openness. Well, I think it could be either one. I think open relationships is a big umbrella term, you know, that it could mean pretty much anything, like however you want to describe it. Open monogamy is a little bit more closed, if you will. It's a little bit more committed. It means we have a commitment that comes first no matter what. So there's some things that go along with that, like maybe a veto power, like you or I are in a relationship together and maybe we open our relationship a little bit, but you meet someone and I'm like, this person could maybe threaten our relationship. So I'm, I'm going to say no. Yep. I actually know someone who is in a open relationship and they negotiate a new contract every year. Mm-hmm. When we come back, I'm going to tell you this very interesting thing that they put in their contract. You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Wells Show on KFI AM 640. We're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Should I stay or should I go now? We're back with the Dr. Wendy Wells Show should on KFI AM 640. Thanks for being with us here. My guest, Dr. Tammy Nelson, author of The New Monogamy, and more recently this month, her latest book, Open Monogamy. Okay, before the break, Dr. Nelson, I mentioned I have some friends that have an open marriage. Mm-hmm. And every year, just as an act, I mean, it's not, nothing is legally enforceable here. They, they each get an attorney and they negotiate all the terms of their marriage. Everything from who takes out the trash to who does the child care to who's providing what income for what or paying whatever and their sex life. And what's interesting is they negotiate who has, you mentioned, veto power over which partners and whether there's approval. And as their relationship goes on over the years, it's starting to look more like traditional monogamy. Mm-hmm. First, it was anybody, anytime, any place, and then it was okay, nobody we actually socialize with, and then it's okay, nobody we actually socialize with, but now somebody I need to approve. Okay, now not more than three times a year. <laughs> do you do you find that is that people start out with more openness and then go, well, the monogamy part's okay. Well, first of all, it makes sense to renegotiate your monogamy agreement often. I mean, we get a, you know, we have to renew our license every couple of years. Why not our monogamy agreement? You know, I don't think that saying I do and I won't once when you get married is really going to prevent infidelity for the rest of your life. That's like saying I told you I loved you when I married you and I'll. I'll let you know if I change my mind. Right. (laughs) Some people talk like that. (laughs) Right. Um, But I also think your question about, you know, does monogamy change over time and your desire to be open? I think it's developmental, right? Like when you're dating, we tell people, don't settle down. Don't be monogamous. Check out a bunch of options. And then, because you're young, and then pick somebody to settle down and create safety for children. Like you want to create a family. So you want to be monogamous because you got a lot of, of work to do and you want to create that, you know, structure for your kids. So it's really not about you. It's not about your sex life. You got to like really focus now. And so when the kids get a little older, when they're old enough to like put themselves on the bus and tie their shoes and you start coming back to yourself and thinking, well, you know what? I'm kind of interested in myself and my sexuality and who I am. And, I, and I'm a little restless. And then people start looking around again. And that's when people start opening up their relationship and negotiating with their partner and talking about how can we like either like stir things up a little, make things more exciting. That's also when people start getting divorced. Oh, yeah. I call it the empty nest divorce or the empty nest dog. Mm -hmm. They get one or the other, Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, makes sense. I mean, in our history, marriages were not that long. We our life expectancies were outliving 
many of our relationships, but plenty of people want to keep a good enough relationship. Absolutely. Now, I, I asked earlier, but we didn't get around to the question, who is it not for? Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you the lens that I look at life through, which is attachment theory. And I myself, having healed and recovered from an anxious attachment style, probably in my life could never survive any kind of open relationship emotionally. There's just no way. Um, Would you say that people should become aware of their attachment style and know if this is right for them? I think it'll bring out your attachment style. If you're insecure or anxious, Mm -hmm. um, the tendency to get involved with someone who's avoidantly attached and might be be using their inability to commit to monogamy, um, you know, you might end up together. And so they... You might hear things from your partner like, oh, I'm just not meant to be monogamous or, Mm -hmm. you know, we as people aren't born monogamous. Oh, I've heard that. I've heard that many times or all those guys. (laughs) That that drives me crazy because that could be a sign of being avoidantly attached. And none of us know if we're biologically predisposed to being monogamous. You know, we're humans. We have a prefrontal cortex. We can learn and we we make choices. So you can choose to be monogamous. You can choose to be openly monogamous. You can choose to be monogamous today and make a different choice tomorrow. That's why we have our brains. Um, and so when people, what are in the book, Open Monogamy, you give people some guidelines about how they can open this conversation and talk about what kinds of rules would work for them. What suggestions do you give? Um, I definitely want people to have the conversation first and and have a, what I call a what-if conversation. So what if we did this? What would be the benefits and what would be the possibilities and what would be the problems? So what are the possibilities and what are the problems? That's all you have to remember is those PP words. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Having to do with the PP. Possibilities and problems. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so that all of that's about potential. Right. And what if you have this potential conversation and you clearly find out that one partner is not into it? What does the other partner do at that point? Um, I think it's it's easy to say I'm not into it when you don't really understand where the other person's coming from. Because some people hear we're going to open our relationship. I really want that. And the first thing you think of is, oh, my God, we're going to have orgies every week. And (laughs) my partner's going to sleep with everyone we know. And all our friends are going to find out. And what is my mother going to think? And. You know, we're going to live on a commune and, you know, like people have different ideas of what that means. Maybe your partner just wants to go to like a sex party and walk around and hold your hand and go, oh, my God, isn't this weird? Right. And that's enough novelty. Uh, We certainly know. I mentioned the word novelty a couple of times. We certainly know that humans desire novelty just as much as they also desire routine. So they want structure. But then they want novelty every once in a while. And I've done a lot of reading on the research of what constitutes as novel for couples. And for plenty of monogamous couples, novelty just means different clothes and in a different room (laughs) and uh, with a different scented candle and setting up that date night and scheduling sex, actually, um, so that you have time to shave your legs. Um, But for others, they want something more Mm -hmm. to create that novelty. Mm -hmm. And I think... The best thing about this conversation, Dr. Nelson, is we need to get away from the word should. We need to get away from this moral directive Mm -hmm. that was given to us by religiosity, who, if you listen to my Mating Matters podcast, The God Who Clubs, it was about creating more members in that tribe. And so all the rules 
around sexuality and religions were about just procreating and creating more members who are also going to be in this religion. And so if we can get rid of a lot of that and just figure out who we are as individuals, as you said, this conflict is about growth and it can be pretty painful. And you may decide that your partner, that this isn't the partner you want to go forward with because of these conversations. But isn't it still better to be real? Yeah. And monogamy has become sort of synonymous with morality. Mm-hmm. You know, like somehow if we're monogamous, then we're, you know, that's like the moral high ground. Right. And anything outside of that somehow is. Oh, no, I'm monogamous because I'm fearful. <laughs> Not moral. <laughs> Terrified. Yeah, yeah. And frankly, I don't really have any judgment about the way that you want to do it. I think if your true north is we love each other and we want to make it work and we're going to figure it out and we're going to be honest with each other and you keep coming back to that no matter what, that's what I want to help you with. And so you see couples making these decisions mm-hmm. and help them negotiate this. Yeah, every day. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Dr. Tammy Nelson, you can find her at, where do they find you? Do you have a website? Yeah, drtammynelson.com, drtammynelson.com. They can also find the book at openmonogamy.com. Open monogamy. Okay. It's a new year coming up. You Mm -hmm. never know. (laughs) Thanks so much for being with us, Dr. Tammy Nelson. Uh, I am going to social media after this. I know you guys have been sending me so many questions. I cannot wait to answer them. You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. This is the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show. I'm known as America's relationship expert because I've been studying the science of love for almost three decades. Normally at this time, I take your phone calls, but I have been neglecting the, I was going to say hundreds of people, the thousands, oh, oh, the millions of people who now follow me on social media. It's so weird, Kayla. It is just weird. To open up your messages and just see people pouring out their hearts and souls. I mean, I feel deeply honored and respected. You're a star on social media, Dr. Wendy. It's crazy. A star. It's crazy. Um, But I love, love, love connecting with people. So um, I do want to take some time in the next couple segments to read some of the questions that people have written to me. Because remember, these are really sensitive topics and not everybody wants to call into the radio. Um, So let's start. Okay. Question from a mom who says, why does my college-age daughter's ex keep liking and unliking her Instagram posts? I'm going to pause right there to say, why is the mother of a college-age daughter so interested in her daughter's love life? And so just saying boundaries, boundaries. Remember, if you do your job well, you work yourself out of a job, mom. Okay? That might be a little too much information for you to even know. But I'll keep going, as you did. She is now in a 15-month relationship with his former best friend from high school. All right, that's cool. Good for her. He also recently commented on one of her photos depicting an activity that they used to do together. Hmm, like skiing or something. He has resurfaced in the past and wanted to have a situation, a FWB. What's FWB? Friends with benefits. Oh, friends. I mm-hmm. should know that. Yeah. The code for it. <laughs> friends with benefits situation. But she said no, then got together with her new beau. Since then, he stayed away. Okay, let me explain how love works. So I don't know if he broke up with her or she broke up with him. It doesn't matter. He's keeping her as a backup mate. And remember, he didn't say, I want to get back together with you. He said, can we be friends with benefits? He just missed the sex. So he's still letting her know, like, I'm here. I'm watching. 
when that guy goes away, I'm going to be here for you too, because I want some sex too. That's all this is. Now, your question is, should she block him everywhere? No. There's research to show that people with backup mates actually have better mental health. Even married people with backup mates have lower rates of depression. Just sort of knowing that if something happened to the person you're with, that there'd be other options. So there is nothing wrong with this. This is completely benign. But if your question is, does he want to get back with her? No, he wants to have sex with her. He wants to keep her as a backup mate. And mom, enough. Focus on your own love life. Your, your daughter's in college now. She's going to be doing all kinds of stuff you do not want to hear about. Trust me. Um, she even knew about the friends with benefits offer. Doesn't that seem a little? Yeah, she needs to get a life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know how I found out that my daughter wasn't a virgin? Her sister tattletailed. <laughs> really? Because <laughs> they're the daughters. My daughters are so close. I oh, love like, that. I know. They're so close. They tell each other everything. Okay, here we go. Uh, a couple weeks ago, this from a listener, a friend of mine who's been married seven years, but 10 years overall with her husband, was recently told by him that he loves her and she's the love of his life. But, you know, Kayla, a but was coming there, right? He wants to be on his own. Her husband used to be extremely overweight. Ooh, and he's 10 years younger. He pursued her relentlessly at first until he got her to marry him. She fell in love with him. She's a beautiful person inside and out and does not know what happened. He says there's no one else and he loves her. But for the last six months, he can't shake the feeling he wants to be on his own. I'm no expert, but I can't shake the feeling he's not being fully honest with her. Well, I am an expert, and I will tell you that there may or may not be somebody else, but it doesn't matter. You know what happened? He lost that weight because he got in mating market shape, and he's ready to go out. He's 10 years younger than her. He's on a different time clock with his relationship life plan. You know what? Even the most monogamous of humans may find themselves having two or three long stints of monogamy in their lifespan with some mate selection in between. It's because our life expectancies keep getting longer and longer, and we're literally outliving our relationship. Now, you didn't mention children. I'm a big believer in staying together for the kids and going to couples therapy, so I don't know if there's kids involved in all of this. Um, but he may or may not have another mate. For sure, if he lost that weight and he's younger than her, he wants to test drive his new body. He wants to find out really what his mate status is out there in the mating marketplace. For six months, he's been thinking about this. He's very clear. It's not about her. She may be the love of his life. But hey, don't let him keep her as a backup mate. If he's going to go, let him go. And she's got to go out there herself and find somebody else great. That's what I say. I mean, this is the hard truth about love. This crazy notion that you meet someone early in your adult life that is your quote-unquote soulmate and you stay together until one of you dies. When they invented that till death do us part thing, death was pretty imminent, okay? People were dying of all kinds of things. What is most natural for the human species is a kind of serial monogamy. Now, staying together until kids are up and out of the nest is a good idea. And back in our anthropological past, Kids were actually up and out of the nest and ready to reproduce by about the age of 13. So, because they didn't need to know much, how to make a fire, what berries were poison, you know. Now, 
look what we need to survive. All that years of education, et cetera, it takes so much longer. And there is research to show that staying together for the kids is a great idea unless the nest is so toxic that it's impacting the kids. In other words, um, there's child abuse or great addiction or domestic violence or all that kind of stuff, right? Not good for kids. But if two kind of relatively unhappy people are bickering in the master bedroom, kids are doing just fine. They're oblivious to it. But put two kids, put kids in two separate households, take those resources and now have to, to pay for two separate households. Kids lose schools, friends, coaches, all extracurricular. It gets hard. Kids can slip into poverty. So it is better to stay together for kids. You didn't mention kids here. So I'm going to go with there are no kids. It's just time. It's time for this relationship to end. And I'm sorry. It's very, very painful for your friends. All right. When we come back, oh, guys, and they're texting. I know. Women always ask me questions about guys and how, guys, you're confusing most women in the world with your texts. I've got more questions to answer from my listeners when we come back. You're listening to The Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. We're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, Protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. 